two now. And today is the first day of national syndication for this program. And I want to thank and welcome WBOK 1230 AM in New Orleans as the first affiliate to broadcast uh, Tavis Smiley across the nation. Uh, other stations coming online later this week. More stations onboarding after Labor Day. But today uh, is a bit of history around here. Today is our first day of national syndication. And again, the first station uh, to broadcast this program is WBOK 1230 AM in New Orleans. And we are glad about it. Uh, in this hour, filthy rich politicians, the swamp creatures, latte liberals, and ruling class elites uh, cashing in on America. Uh, we'll talk uh, in this hour with Matt Lewis of the Daily Beast about his provocative new book. You got to love that title, right? Filthy Rich Politicians, the Swamp Creatures, Latte Liberals, and Ruling Class Elites Cashing in on America. I love a good book title. We'll talk to Matt uh, in this hour about the new book, uh, which is essentially, as you can probably tell by the title, a takedown of the political elite running amok in Washington. I'm pleased to be joined by Matt Lewis. Matt, how are you today, sir? Hey, Tavis. I'm doing great. Good to have you on the program. Thanks for your time. Thanks for the book. I'm glad we got an hour to unpack it. There's a lot in here um, that I that I want to jump into. Let me start with that title. As I said a moment ago, you heard me sort of uh, chuckling. Um, I've written a few books in my career, and there's nothing that succeeds like a great book title. Filthy rich <laughs> politicians, the swamp creatures, latte liberals, and ruling class elites cashing in on America. Uh, you got to come out of your shell, Matt. Stop being so shy about what you're trying to say. <laughs> Well, thank you. I agree it's a great title. And to be honest, I had nothing to do with it other, <laughs> other than other than greenlighting it. But um, I do see, I recognize a good title when I see it. So uh, someone else had the idea, and I was more than happy to go with it. Yep. Is, is, is that really true? Is, is that the state of our democracy uh, when it comes to a conversation about our elected leaders, that they are essentially filthy, rich politicians? It really is. Um, so right now, the average member of Congress is about 12 times richer than the average American household. Mm. And the average member of Congress is now a millionaire. And, you know, look, I realize being a millionaire ain't what it used to be. You know, especially <laughs> if you live in a, big, in a big city, it may not feel like you're that wealthy if you're a millionaire. But, you know, only only about 5 to 7 percent of Americans are millionaires, and yet more than 50% of Congress are. So there is a big gap between the people who represent us and us, and this gap has been widening dramatically in the last three or four decades. And uh, so I do think that at some level it does speak to a a disconnect between we the people and our politicians. We'll get to the widening as we um, uh, widen out this hour, pardon the pun. Um, but let me start with the first point you've made, which is that the average member of Congress is 12 times richer uh, than everyday fellow citizens. I'm not naive in asking this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why? Well, as you can imagine, there are a whole bunch of reasons. Um, just for one thing, rich people are more likely to run for mm. office. Mm -hmm. um, and part of it, believe it or not, is they have more time on their hands. It's not just the money. It's they have enough money that they can afford to take a year and campaign door to door. Also, I think more and more um, political parties and, you know, party bosses are really when they when they're vetting candidates, when they're recruiting candidates, they're looking for people who can self-fund. So they're already just looking for people who are already filthy rich uh, before they get in office. 
And then, of course, once people get in office, they tend to get richer um, for a variety of reasons. And some of that, I think, is, um, you know, it's just typical. The rich get richer uh, often, you know, if, if, if nothing else, just based off of interest. Um, but, you know, also there are instances of that certainly look like insider trading mm. that I talk about in the book as well. Yeah, we'll get to that point about uh, how and why they seem to get richer while they're in office. Let me ask you right quick before I move forward, though. Um, and I'm again, this 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 is fascinating for me. Why it is that rich people want to be in public office in the first place? You've got money, you've got power. Whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Mehmet Oz who ran in Pennsylvania, whether it's it's Rick Caruso who ran for mayor here in Los Angeles, where this studio is. I mean, there are Bloomberg in New York. I could do this all day long, right? Why is it, uh, if you have, uh, in, in your research, what have you discovered about why rich people want to be in office in the first place, in public office? And they, they, they make they they make precious little money as compared to what they have in their bank accounts already, anyway. So why yeah. run? Why run? Well, that is an interesting point, and sometimes I admire them for running. I mean, if I were filthy rich, I think I would probably be on a beach drinking a pina colada right now <laughs> instead of, you know, wearing a, a suit, you know, in, in Congress or something. Um, so in a sense, I think there's some nobility to it. And I actually don't buy the argument that they're there to, you know, change the tax laws to benefit their business. And these are people who are very rich. They could buy lobbyists if they want. They, you know, there, there are better ways to, uh, to affect public policy. Um, but I but I also think in some cases, uh, even though their their goals may be noble, I, I think they may be sometimes misguided. So mm. one theory is the transitive property of expertise, right? You you think that because you were a successful businessman that uh, that is somehow transferable to legislating. And uh, I think there's a lot of that. People who were very wildly successful in business, they think that that means that they know that they're smart. <laughs> and uh, it, it's not always applicable. It, don't, it doesn't always translate. It does not. Let's put, um, a, let's put, let's put a pin in that for a second. I know, you, I know there's other things on that list. We'll, we'll get to those in just a second here. Uh, but put a pin in it for a moment. I want to come to this notion uh, of of uh, this transitive uh, notion of, of expertise. Uh, that didn't work out so well for us with Donald Trump. We were told that because he was successful in business, he could run a country. Uh, not so much. We'll talk about that in a great deal more. Matt Lewis is our guest. In this hour of Tabby's Smiley, his new book is called Filthy Rich Politicians, the Swamp Creatures, Latte Liberals, and Ruling Class Elites Cashing In on America. Indeed, our guest is Matt Lewis, author of the new book Filthy Rich Politicians, the Swamp Creatures, Latte Liberals, and Ruling Class Elites Cashing In on America. Matt, one could read one could read that title and assume that you're only talking about the left. Uh, I, I, I've, I've seen the text, so I know better than that. Um, it's both It's both sides of the aisle, is it not? Absolutely. I couldn't I really could find no difference uh, from Republicans or Democrats in this book. Everyone is equally guilty. Uh, so there are 10 chapters mm -hmm. and um, eight of them, you know, look at basically how the rich get elected and the elected get rich. Then I have one chapter called Latte Liberals mm -hmm. that it's sort of what you think, right? It's It's people who cast themselves as as being kind of men and women of the people, but there's some hypocrisy at play. But I also have a companion chapter called Ivy League Populists, 
And it kind of looks at the Republican version of that, right? So it's the people like Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, J.D. Vance, um, Ron DeSantis. These are uh, typically guys who are Ivy Leaguers. They're elites by all, you know, mm-hmm. by every sense of the word, they're elites. And yet they cast themselves as populist and sort of every man. Um, and so those two chapters, looking kind of at the left and the right, are really more about hypocrisy yeah. than about being filthy rich per se. Um, before we uh, took that break, I was asking you um, why rich people uh, choose to run for office. They have all the resources. They have uh, uh, certainly they can run for office, and many of them do. But they've got resources. They've got connections. They've got power. They make precious little money, comparatively speaking, running for public office. So why do so many rich people um, uh, decide in this country to run for office. One of the reasons at the top of your list was this notion that they can uh, transfer their expertise from the private sector to the public sector. That doesn't always work out so well, Donald Trump being the most recent example of how that did not serve us well. Uh, But that was the first thing on your list. Unpack that for me, and then there were a couple other things I think you wanted to say about why they run for office in the first place. Right, yeah. So the first one's the transitive property of expertise. They think that because they were successful in business, that they have it all figured out and that it's transferable. And it generally is not. Um, I've seen you know high-ranking military people try to go into politics. I've seen very successful business people. Sometimes they succeed, sometimes they fail, but usually it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. It's not magic. Uh, The next one on my list is actually boredom. (laughs) It's the same reason why rich people want, (laughs) you know, rich people want to buy rocket rocket rides and baseball teams. Yeah, you know, and it's to have a hobby uh, to give. You know, and this is is associated with the the, I want to give back to the community. That's that's you know a close relative of this one is the need, the want to give back. But I I think some of it is all you know uh, related to this has to do. Um, with with wanting attention and fame, you know, there's the economy, and now there's the attention economy, and so. Um, but I think boredom, I guess, is at the uh, at the bottom of of that. Yeah, um, you mentioned uh, earlier in this conversation that on both the left and the right, Democrats and Republicans, when they're recruiting people these days to run for office, they're looking for people who can self-fund their campaigns. One of the reasons why Mehmet Oz, you know, Dr. Oz ran in Pennsylvania. There are others I could point to who are already wealthy and they get recruited to sort of sort of run for office. Uh, and yet it seems to me that the self-funding of these campaigns does something to our democracy. I don't want to unpack the something. You wrote the book. That's why I have you on as a guest. But there's something about that that's troubling for me, that we're seeing more and more millionaires and billionaires running for office, self-funding their campaigns. That can't, to my mind, be good for democracy. Your take. I think it is problematic, right? Um, And in the case of of Pennsylvania, Mehmet Oz, the guy he beat in the Republican primary, was also worth hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Right. you know, in in Illinois right now, the richest politician in America is is J.P. Pritzker. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the governor of Illinois. He had to beat two other billionaires. There were three billionaires running for governor. <laughs> so, if that just being a millionaire, like just to get in the game, you have to be filthy rich. And I think that is the problem, right? It's 
It's uh, we've always had there've always been politicians who were rich. And we you know we can go back to George Washington, who was really rich, and you know, Franklin Roosevelt. And but a lot of times in the olden days, it was you know with a president maybe and the U.S. Senate, the upper chamber. I think what has changed now is the sense that there are 435 members of of the House of Representatives, the lower chamber. And you know, three or four decades ago, there were plumbers in Congress, there were pipe fitters representing us in Congress. Now that's kind of gone, and I think the sense is that to be, just to make it to Congress, I mean, even someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is, you know, she's this kind of populist, kind of, you know, where's her her status as as like a rural, um, you know, she would call herself probably unsophisticated, anti-elite. She's worth at least $5 million, you know? Mm. So, like, just to be a populist, a fire-breathing, you know, rabble-rouser, you still have to be a millionaire. And and I think part of the problem is that everyone has a worldview. Everyone has, you know, you, our experience, whatever your experience has been, to some degree that will inform your worldview and your politics. There's nothing wrong with that. It's true of all of us. But if everybody in Congress is a millionaire... They're going to be bringing that with them. That's going to inform how they see the world, and I think ultimately it's going to de- decide uh, our policy. How, how are these? How are these populists? I'm talking now specifically about Republicans. Uh, you ran a list of them uh, a moment ago: Ron DeSantis, Josh Hawley, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, others. How are these GOP populists getting away with advancing that message? And I asked that against the backdrop that a billionaire named Donald Trump got away with it. Um, that, you know, I'm, I, I, you're broke and you're poor and I'm a billionaire, but I'm the guy that can save you. I'm the guy that can help you uh, because, yeah. I, because I understand what you're going through because I feel your pain. How are these rich Republicans advancing this populist notion? How are they getting away with that, with that, that narrative? Yeah, I thought Dave Chappelle on Saturday Night Live really had this great analysis of Donald Trump, who basically, uh, Chappelle called him a, quote, honest liar mm-hmm. and it was, ba- <laughs> it was I, I remember that partly, i remember that yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was partly based on trump you know ba- telling americans like yes i don't pay taxes because i'm smart you know and <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh i know how the game's rigged because i've been rigging it myself uh it was stunning what trump has done and the rest of them aren't as good at it i mean trump is in a master class of being able to do this but Fundamentally, what I think has happened is, is a couple things. One, elite, simply the definition of elite, it doesn't mean what it used to mean, right? It doesn't mean rich people who went to an Ivy League school. It now means people we don't like, you know? Mm. And so Ted Cruz is not an elite, but AOC is, mm. you know, even though she was a bartender. Um and the voters, the Republican voters, and I'm, you know, I'm talking to you from West Virginia right now. <laughs> uh, you know, um, they they've they've gone along with that. Uh, so I, I definitely think that's part of it. The other part of the story is that even though right now, and I, I don't want to get ahead of us, but right now, for example, uh, something like 88 percent of Republicans and 87 percent of Democrats want to ban. Uh, congressional stock trading, Mm -hmm. even though the public generally believes the game is rigged, 
nobody is willing to vote against a politician for it. Like I, I don't know of a single single politician who has been defeated because they were seemed you know too rich or because they um, because it seemed like they were you know in, engaging in insider trading. And so, even though I think most people have a sense that the fix is in. Uh, it doesn't drive their decisions when it comes to the ballot box. Yeah. Um, in case you've just tuned in, uh, Matt Lewis made the point earlier that our elected officials in Washington uh, are about 12 times richer uh, than the everyday people who sent them there in the first place. And then once they get there, they enrich themselves. They, they go there rich and they get richer while they are serving. Uh, it's clear to me, Matt, uh, from your book, that these these politicians are clearly taking advantage of the system and they're hoping that we're not savvy enough to notice. But what, what are the ways in which they are gaming the system once they get there? I'm, I'm driving to how it is when they get there, they legitimately and legally end up getting richer. Um, again, insider trading is one way to do that, but that's yeah. illegal. So I'm asking, how, how do they legitimately end up getting richer while they're in Congress? Well, <clears throat> I think I do think the number one example is actually insider trading. Wow. Um, and you're right. It's been illegal since 2012. For member, and before 2012, members of Congress could engage <laughs> illegally in it. Um, now, and I can give you, we don't have to go into it now, but at some point, you know, there are examples in my book uh, that they're not just positive. I, I can't prove that members were engaging, but I can give you examples of, of Republicans and Democrats who had these very suspiciously timed trades mm-hmm. um, that uh, if I described it, most people would conclude that something fishy was up. But there's other stuff too. I mean, I'll just give you one example. Sure. And again, this is this is not scandalous. This is not crook. This is not criminal. It's what I call the banality of political corruption. But it's simply the fact that people who make money from investments are taxed generally at a lower rate than people who make money from a salary. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that most members of Congress make most of their money from investments. Therefore, they are paying a lower tax rate than most of us who actually have a job mm. and draw a salary. That's just one example. Another one that's kind of you know, I don't think it's very sexy. Pe- people don't seem outraged by this, but it's actually book deals. Um, just recent, within the past month, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, was worth $300,000. He, According to disclosure reports, his net worth was about $300,000. He is now a millionaire based on a book deal that he got based on him being now being a famous politician. And this is pretty ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, to your point about the the uh, ubiquitous nature of it, I was just reading over the weekend, as I'm sure you were. Uh, let me just let me let me just back up and qualify this by saying I love Katanji Brown Jackson. Uh, I love KBJ. She made history. I'm glad she's there. Um, her dissents uh, in her first term were amazing uh, to read. Uh, brilliant. Uh, is she, uh, and I'm delighted that she's on that court. And yet, I couldn't help but raise my one of my eyebrows this weekend, uh, Matt, when I read that she just closed a three million dollar book deal. Now, let me be clear. Yeah, she's not. <laughs> she's not the first person on the Supreme Court to do this. 
uh, and she won't be the last unless they change the rules, which they won't because <laughs> that's how they make money. But I, I, I was stunned, and I guess I shouldn't have been because, again, she's not the only person I know to have done this. So I'm not trying to single her out, and I, and I, I love her. I, I love her, uh, her the way she sees the world and the way she's going to, uh, to serve on this court and to rule in the, in the coming years, many years to come. But there's something kind of funky about that when a Supreme yeah. Court justice gets seated and months later they're signing a $3 million book deal. Matt, that's – Yeah, I, I, you know, the, I, yeah. Don't, don't hit the player, hit the game. I that's mean, I, it. I'm totally with you. <laughs> and she's not alone. Um, but, yeah, it, it just it feeds the sense that, you know, and look, I mean, this ties into, you know, Clarence Thomas and his vacations. sure. And, sure. And uh, I think uh, Justice Sotomayor, there was an allegation that that she had someone on her staff pressuring books, you know, uh, uh, someone to to buy her books or something like Mm. that. Uh, Everyone is kind of doing this, which is speaks to the ubiquity of it. Uh, When it comes to the book sales, the most, I think, disturbing part are these bulk orders. And so, like, right now, you know, I've written a book and I'm trying to, you know— Good luck trying to sell a book that takes on both sides of the aisle. <laughs> so I'm trying to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hawking my book and I know what it's like. But some of these members of Congress, you know, first of all, they don't all write good books. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, some of the books, like President Obama's, you know, memoir, of course, is, is very good. And some of them are good. But most of these books are really not that great. But what happens is, you know, they'll get like a committee, like, say, the National Republican Congressional Committee. Yeah. To buy like orders, fifty thousand yeah. copies, mm-hmm. and so that will boost their ratings in like the New York Times book review or, or uh, bestseller list. But it will also result in the book making more money. That could be more royalties, more uh, bigger book advances. Yeah. So some of Let- that money is effectively being laundered into their personal pockets. It is indeed. More to talk about when we come forward with Matt Lewis. The book is called Filthy Rich Politicians, The Swamp Creatures, Latte Liberals, and Ruling Class Elites Cashing In on America. You are listening right now to Tavis Smiley. Our guest in this hour is Matt Lewis, author of the new book, Filthy Rich Politicians, The Swamp Creatures, Latte Liberals, and Ruling Class Elites Cashing In on America. Uh, Matt, I was thinking during that break about the, <laughs> the point you made um, uh, moments ago. You were somewhat joking, uh, but I take the point that here you are trying to sell a book that's taking on both sides, <laughs> taking on the left and the right. Uh, they're all filthy rich politicians. They're all swamp creatures, et cetera, et cetera. And they're all gaming the system and hoping that we don't, uh, that we don't uh, pay attention or take notice. I, I, I thought about that comment that you made, and I hate to break this news to you, but it seems to me <laughs> – that the American people don't so much care about the ludicrous money in our politics. And I, and I, and I say that, and, and more broadly, seem not to care too much about corruption uh, writ large. And I say that in part because of the poll numbers we were discussing earlier on today's program. You saw these numbers today in the New York Times, uh, the, the new poll out, that Trump is crushing DeSantis and all the other GOP rivals um, he's 37 points ahead of his closest challenger. That's uh, Ron DeSantis. And we're like, what, three indictments in, uh, more coming. Fannie Willis in Georgia said over the weekend that she's ready to go. Uh, and so these indictments uh, keep coming. And yet, uh, with every indictment, it seems Donald Trump continues to gain ground uh, in his lead over his Republican challengers. And it's 
it's it's pretty difficult to call him anything at this point except the presumptive Republican nominee. And this is all kind of corruption. This is not just money in our politics. So they don't care. Uh, they being many of our fellow citizens seem to care not at all about this level of corruption. Then why do you think as you uh, embark on this book tour, <laughs> taking on both <laughs> sides, that they care about money in politics? Well, it is interesting. They care, but here's how they care. Okay. When I go promote this on conservative shows, typically I talk about, and by the way, I'm being completely honest. Sure. All of this is in my book, but when I go on a conservative show, I'll tend to talk about Hunter Biden <laughs> and Nancy Pelosi stock trading. Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes if I go you know, on a more progressive show, I'll talk more about Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And I'll, so I, I, and I think that is indicative of, of the audience. I think that uh, you Republicans really do think there's a lot of corruption out there, and Hunter Biden is responsible for it all, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's a Democratic version of it. And so um, I guess the thing is I think that, that voters do care about, about the money and the corruption, and I do think that so many of them, uh, it's almost baked into the cake. It, they're not shocked by it anymore. They're somewhat apathetic. They believe the game is rigged. And it's important, but it doesn't compare to the culture war. And they're willing to look the other way on their side, on their team. And their team may be doing some questionable things, but it's nothing compared to those other people. And so uh, I think this is an important issue that I do think is eroding trust in liberal democracy and in our institutions and in our lawmakers. But I will agree, I do not think it is driving political decisions in terms of how anybody votes. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking as you're talking uh, of which of these um, I should be more troubled by. Um, the fact that um, both sides believe that uh, there's a problem with corruption. Both sides believe there's a problem with money in our politics. Uh, or that both sides see the other side being responsible for that. So <laughs> is, is, is it the money... Or is it the frame uh, of how we discuss the money? Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, and I'll be honest with you, Tavis, I mean, just to kind of lay my cards on the table after having written this book. So, you know, I intentionally did not, I did not put a lot of Joe Biden or Donald Trump in this book, mm -hmm. um, partly because there's a lot of books that have been written about Donald Trump and, and there are going to be a lot of books probably written about the Biden era. Um, and I wanted to focus on kind of the low-grade rank-and-file, uh, the banality of corruption, as I say, how, how your average member of Congress is making money off the stock market, off of you know paying family members for this job and that job. But I do talk a little bit about Biden and Trump, and in the, con the main part is in the context of, of their families. Mm -hmm how both sides have families who have also cashed in. And, um, and I'll say this, uh, you know, with the Hunter Biden controversy, if, if he's guilty of all the things that he's been accused of, and if it turns out that, you know, that the Biden family has been taking foreign money and all this stuff, it's very serious and it's troubling, and it might be worth, like, say, tens of millions of dollars. But that's nothing compared. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Jared Kushner took a $2 billion 
investment from a Saudi fund to his private equity firm. $2 billion. So once again, Donald Trump, (laughs) no matter how bad you may be, Mm -hmm. it does not compare with Donald Trump. Yeah. This conversation raises all kinds of questions about accountability, and I want to sort of kind of move in that direction. Um, And this is not the first time, it it won't surprise you, that I've had a conversation about money in our politics. Uh, Your book is is the latest, and it's the one that everybody's talking about. In case you've just tuned in, his name is Matt uh, Lewis, and the book is called Filthy Rich Politicians, the Swamp Creatures, Latte Liberals, and Ruling Class Elites Cashing In on America. Um, The the part that, that, that... troubles me um, um, about this, Matt, is that we're headed toward um, a couple of things here. We're headed toward uh, an election season where I suspect more money is going to be spent in this presidential race than ever. And I think that happens every cycle. We always say there's more money being spent this time around than last time. But but I am I am I'm, I'm bracing myself for the kind of money that's going to be spent in this race if we have a rematch of Biden Trump. Um, what say you? Definitely. Uh, I think it's always, you know, it's always going to be bigger than the last time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, and I think we probably are going to have a rematch. I mean, if I had to bet today, yeah. I would still, I would bet that it's going to be a rematch. And, um, you know, part of the issue is, is not just the money that's being spent, but the money that is being spent that no one really, you know, knows <laughs> who's, who's spending it. Or, or, or where, or where it's coming from. from. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that part, that part. Yeah. Um, the, and the, I mean, this is an, this is an area where I'm, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a, you know, a kind of a center right person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so I actually believe that McCain Feingold, um, which I think was a noble attempt to, help solve this problem actually you know probably made it worse with all of these super PACs and the dark money now that the problem with the campaign finance reform it just it tends to be the unintended consequences you really you try to bring more transparency and like money finds a way Mm -hmm. and the real tragedy here is unless you know something i don't know is that the folk who are responsible for fixing this are the folk who are benefiting from the system as it is. Yeah. And I mean, you know, part of the problem in general is that members of Congress set their own rules too. And so in my book, I try hard to talk about who the richest politicians are and how they made their money. And, uh, and, you know, and I compare them to the average American, how much they make. And, uh, you know, I think I do as good a job as anyone possibly could based on the, the information that's made public. But members of Congress write the rules. They just, just like the Supreme Court decides their ethics policy or not. Um, Members of Congress have made it impossible to know actually how rich they are. Uh, And to your point, that would be or not. (laughs) Or not is the operative phrase in that sentence. Uh, When we come forward with Matt Lewis, we'll talk about who some of those richest politicians are. In Washington, you might be uh, surprised by some names on the list. Maybe not. Uh, more with Matt Lewis when we come forward on Tavis Smart. Smart talk for curious people just like you. Just like you. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. 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 In his new book, Matt Lewis argues that um, that the rich get elected and the elected get rich, richer, in fact. Um, so, Matt, you teased me with this, uh, so I want to follow up on it. So, who are some of the richest folk? <laughs> 
in Washington, although, oh, man. although we seem not to care. Yeah, so uh, I'll give you I'll give you a few a few of the interesting stories. Okay. Um, the the richest, as I mentioned earlier, is J.B. Pritzker. Uh, he's an heir of the Hyatt fortune. Um, there are eleven billionaires in his family, and he's the governor of Illinois. Uh, the richest member of Congress is again we don't know for sure because <laughs> they don't tell us exactly how rich they are. But it's probably Florida Senator and former Governor Rick Scott, who uh, made a fortune uh, in these privately owned hospitals, essentially. And uh, there was some sketchiness involved in, you know, allegations of I think they even had a settled Medicare fraud dispute at some point. Uh, But he is filthy, Richie, filthy rich as well. Uh, Another really rich politician is... uh, Daryl Issa, mm. uh, who he's a really interesting story. This is a guy who was arrested, I think, twice for allegedly uh, stealing cars. You know, he was never, never convicted, but arrested, <laughs> indicted at least once. Um, and he ended up starting a car alarm company. Um, and, you know, when, when someone tries to break into your car and you hear the the sound of please step away from this car. Like that was like literally his voice. Um, there's also, you know, uh, Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs, who's the granddaughter of the founder of Qualcomm uh, in California. Uh, an interesting guy named Kevin Hearn. This one's, you know, this one's a little different. He started off as a guy who owned a McDonald's, well, he started off working at McDonald's, <laughs> saved them, saved up enough money to buy a McDonald's, and today he's one of the richest politicians in America. So, you know, the stories range from you know nepo babies to mm-hmm. self-made, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah, fair to say that once they get to to Washington or get to these lofty positions, um, uh, they don't they they don't they don't lose money. Uh, your book points out yeah. quite quite nicely that um, it just so happens. I don't know how this works, but it just so happens that uh, the longer they're in office, the richer they get. Yeah, and to your point about not losing money, I mean, you know, one of the examples of of alleged insider trading is a Republican, former Senator Richard Burr, mm-hmm. who he was the chairman of the Intelligence Committee in the U.S. Senate. And right before COVID hit, I mean, it, COVID was here, but your average American didn't realize how bad COVID was. Mm-hmm. He dumped like a million dollars worth of stock in things like Wyndham Hotels. Then he picks up the phone and calls his brother-in-law, and his brother-in-law calls his broker and dumps his stock. So it's 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 not that they make money necessarily; it's that they don't lose money. That's one of the big, big advantages to uh, at least the perception of having, you know, inside knowledge. In our final moments with Matt Lewis, we'll talk about whether or not there are ways to reform the system. Are there ways to rebuild trust in these institutions and preserve American democracy? That's the goal. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. Ah, speaking of rich, (laughs) 
it might be rich dialogue. We're talking about rich politicians. The book is called Filthy Rich Politicians, The Swamp Creatures, Latte Liberals, and Ruling Class Elites Cashing in on America. The author of that book is Matt Lewis, who has been our guest in this hour. We've got a few minutes left between now and the top of the hour. Um, Matt, I guess the question is whether or not there are steps, there are ways to reform this system, whether or not there are ways to rebuild trust in our institutions, as I said earlier, preserve our democracy, or whether or not uh, the damage that's done is already irreparable and uh, fellow citizens have moved from being uh, skeptical to being cynical and not much can be done. Well, look, I I think we are in, in trouble. I think times are difficult right now in terms of faith and trust in liberal democracy. Um, and I also don't think we can ever really solve things in the sense that we, it's like you can never solve murder, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's illegal. And, uh, but what we can do is have reforms that will mitigate the problem and, and, and incentivize good behavior. And I do think we can do that. The first is obviously to ban stock trading for members of Congress. Mm-hmm. And the good news is that there is something like, you know, I, I think I said it was like 88% of Americans, Republicans and Democrats want to do this. The day after my book came out, um, Senators Josh Hawley and Kirsten Gillibrand, a Republican and a Democrat, announced that they were sponsoring a bill that would do just that. So, um, you know, I've, I've, I've been Lucy with the football before, uh, so I'm not overly optimistic, but, but there is an effort to do that. I would also do things such as a 10-year moratorium on lobbying, you know, so after you serve in Congress, you can't just waltz into the world of lobbying and, and keep cashing in. Uh, you'd have to wait 10 years. I would... Uh, I would ban uh, the ability to pay family members for uh, working for Congress or on the campaign. Um, personally, I'm now, I used to be opposed to term limits. I'm now for them. I understand some Californians may disagree. Um, one of the things I would do that's counterintuitive, I would actually pay Congress more. Mm. Um, right now, the average member makes about $174,000. That's a lot more than your average American. But still, because I'm going to be taking away their ability to uh, bet on the stock market and make money from lavish book deals and, and whatnot, um, I think that uh, they could be paid more, and that way they would focus actually on their job yeah. instead of focused on cashing in elsewhere. It seems to me, it's a good list, first of all. It seems to me, though, you ban stock trading, you're going to stop all those millionaires and billionaires running for office. <laughs> if, they, if they're if they told <laughs> yeah, that you, you can solve, you can solve, you can kill two birds at one stone, ban stock trading, <laughs> and you'll stop all these rich people from running for office in the first place. I digress on that point. Uh, the book is called Filthy Rich Politicians. The Swamp Creatures, Latte Liberals, and Ruling Class Elites Cashing in on America. Uh, the Washington Post calls the author of that book, Matt Lewis, a first-rate talent. Uh, he is super smart, as he heard said earlier in this conversation. He's center-right uh, in his politics, and yet um, I can respect the fact that he's independent uh, and he's intellectually honest when it comes to calling out both sides with regard to uh, this cesspool that is our uh, politics. Again, the book uh, is called Filthy Rich Politicians, The Swamp Creatures, Latte Liberals and Ruling Class Elites Cashing in on America. Matt Lewis, thanks for the conversation. Thanks for the download. I appreciate you, sir. All the best to you on the tour. Thank you for having me. My great delight to have you. Hour three of Tavis Smiley when we come forward.